I think you could get up and suit uh, up and, you know, life offers you a second chance. It's called tomorrow. You got to tune up every day. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts of the Generous Business Owner Podcast. We have a very special guest for you today. It's Jim McInvale, known to most around the country as Mattress Mac and certainly known in Houston. Uh, he's got, uh, a, he is the owner of Gallery Furniture, which is an absolute Houston institution. Welcome to the show, Mac. Great to be on. How are you? Everything's good. Doing great. Doing great. We thank you for doing this. Mac, you know, the way that we usually start this podcast is by just telling a little about where you grew up, what your family was like, that sort of thing. What was it like growing up? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, my father was in the insurance that used to be very giving all toward the church and the uh, local little league of the community. My mother would stay at home, uh, housewife, raised up the kid. I had a very good, uh, very strong uh, faith faith upbringing. I uh, brought up as a Catholic Phil Lamb, and uh, I learned in early life that the essence of living or giving. Love it. Now, were you in the uh, birth order? Do you have some siblings? Yeah, my oh, I was the second oldest, and then uh, so I was number two on the pecking order. And uh, now I heard that. I heard that you had some entrepreneurial uh, kind of instincts at a young age, or at least had seen some uh, entrepreneurs that uh, uh, you wanted to kind of follow. Can you talk about that? Did you have some of those uh, entrepreneurial uh, chops early? Yeah, I used to watch television. I grew up in Dallas. There were some, uh, some real characters that advertised on television, selling cars and selling insurance, that type of thing. So I learned my skills as a pink man from those guys. Uh, there was a guy named Art Rendell. He'd tell you a car the jump up and down on the roof of the car and I want to tell you the car. So I thought he was great and that's how I got my entrepreneurial uh, chop, if you were, because I would want to be a pink man. That's so interesting. Well, I just think it's somewhat of a lost art, you know? I think it's a uh, just an amazing business that you've built. Now, did you head off to school or did you get right into business? Yeah, I played football the University of Texas uh, two years of my last year. I played in North Texas State. Then I had uh, several failed businesses before I got involved with the furniture business back in 1979 as a furniture salesman in Dallas, Texas. So, okay, so that's one of the things we always like to talk about on this podcast is, you know, it's never it's never just up and to the right for for anybody. You know what I mean? There's always setbacks along the way. Do you mind sharing a little about those? Yeah, obviously, uh, a setback used to set up for a comeback. I there you go. Uh, thousands of setbacks in my life, but if not for my struggles, I would not know like strength. One of the big problems of this country is we work, we raise all these people now to think that life's going to be 72 degrees of sunshine every day. It ain't going to be that way. Life's a battle I'm blessing every day, and I was lucky enough to have lots of failures in my life. I, I thank God for every one of them Every failure puts you one step closer to success, and if you can't fail, you'll never succeed. Boy, amen to that. So maybe take us through some of these. This is kind of, uh, so your early businesses, what kind of businesses were they? I had a health club business, and 
it was successful for a couple of years. I way overexpanded the thing, got it over my head. It was a miserable failure. Now I was felt sorry for myself for three or four years. I was working at a convenience store as a clerk, making three bucks an hour. And uh, I got fired from that job because I had to do it so bad. I felt like I was entitled to a nice home, nice car, nice job without, without having to work for it. That sounds like about half of the American populace today. So I got fired. I went home and I turned the television on one Sunday morning. And Oral Roberts, who was the TV evangelist on the television, he said, get up, go to work and make something out of your life. That was a seminal moment in my life. He said, get up, go to work and make something out of your life. So I went out the next day and got a job in a perfect store located about uh, 50 miles from my parents' house. They had no cars, so I rode the bus out there two hours out every day, two hours back. And I, uh, I, and I reinvented myself, and I learned that work is life's greatest therapy. I've been working seven hours a day, 12, I mean, seven days a week, 12 hours a day for the last 44 years. Man. Yeah, that is one thing that you're definitely known for. If uh, if a customer wants to talk to you, they know they can just call the story. It's been like that for uh, for decades. But it sounds like you kind of had to learn those lessons along the way. I just love that you're you know vulnerable enough to share those failures. I mean, we all have them. So I mean, that's just like you said. It's 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 how you learn, right? And the hard way, the right way, or them, and the harder it is, the more I like it. You know, uh, life never gets you to hear people. I'm gonna. The gun picked up, well, life gun creep. Guess what? Those easy days never come. And they asked me when I'm going to retire. My work is my life. I will die right here front desk and I'll die happy. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So you're taking a bus to and from uh, this furniture store in Dallas, I assume. Is that right? And uh, you're learning the work ethic. You're starting to kind of embrace that, it sounds like. How did, uh, how did that transition go to Houston and starting your own deal? You know, I was working at Ernst store in the uh, success making sales, but gave purpose and meaning to my life. Uh-huh. The problem with many Americans right now is they're not that they are denied the joy of work. They have no purpose and meaning of their life. And uh-huh. I found out good at first sales, so I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur at our first store down in Houston. So I uh, moved to Houston in nineteen eighty one. My wife and I did. I tell the story and I always say that we had Five thousand dollars in dream when we came down here. She corrected me the other day that we had thirty six hundred dollars. <laughs> she remembers. Yeah, that's what we started with, and uh, we slept in the front door the first eight months. We couldn't afford to have anybody steal our inventory. It was not usual offer us to call the furniture Saturday night at uh, eight or nine o'clock at night. I take the day to think to drive to U-Haul to Dallas, meet my friends at the store, buy another ten thousand dollars worth of furniture, then with receipts on. Saturday here in Houston, driving back to Houston at Dallas on Sunday. You were buying it in Dallas from from your buddies. Bought in the morning, driving back to here about nine o'clock in the morning. Unloaded. That is uh, a different kind of just-in-time inventory than we hear about in the uh, textbooks, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you do get to do it. You don't pay the price. You enjoy the price. Love it, man. So okay, so you're driving back and forth, just kind of you bootstrapping it i mean right i mean you didn't have any investors or anything it's just you and your wife busting your butt getting this thing going and so when did how long did it take for it to kind of be a success did it take some time or was it immediate how did that work well 42 years in change we're still working on it we hadn't made that yet but we're working on it so and was it in that was the yeah go ahead 
the journey is not a destination. Boy, ain't that the truth. So when did you hire your, maybe your first employee? Yeah, we had uh, one employee, I think, from almost the get-go. I would sell the furniture red, little red pickup truck, and my wife and the other guy would load it on a truck, tie it down. We'd follow the customers home. We invented same-day delivery of the furniture business. Uh, I am the logistical king of furniture. The reason I invented it was we had to follow them home because we couldn't afford them to cancel. We'd be out of business. <laughs> I love that. I love the necessity is the mother of invention. I, w- I was going to uh, ask you where that policy started because... Everybody, I mean, I bought my first set of furniture right out of college uh, from your store uh, because, again, it's the only place I knew. You know, it's like I could get it right away. I had an empty apartment, moved here with about the same. I I think I had less money than that. And, uh, you know, where are you going to get your furniture? And I think part of your part of your genius is is definitely inventing that same day delivery. But the other thing that you're so well known for is your sort of relentless marketing. I literally, as I was preparing for this uh, interview, I wrote down Mattress Mac as your name. I I mean, I I didn't even think about Jim, you know? I mean, that's how ingrained it is, how good the marketing's been. So I I think this is part of your genius. So do you mind kind of unpacking how you think about marketing? I think marketing is is ubiquitous, something you do all the time. My motto is like your bed. Early to rise, work like hell to advertise. So I don't see marketing as an expense. I see it as an investment in the business. I was at the, uh, I'm doing a thing right now. We have a big tall tower in front of the store. It's about 100 feet tall. And uh, I'm sleeping on top of that tower every night uh, until we sell 10,000 matches during Houston. So that's probably just starting a 90 day adventure. It's hot on that tower. It's, uh, I bet it is. We're very loud. We're sitting in the middle of the, one of the biggest freeways in the United States. And, uh, it's difficult, but it's, uh, it's a good hype. It's a promotion and it's all, it's all about advertising. I went to the Astro game last night and I stayed in the concourse for three and a half hours taking pictures with a fan. So as long as I'm doing that, I'm, I got top of mind of where the people think of us and then we're, we're going to be okay. I love that. And as we're recording this, the uh, temperature uh, I know today is supposed to be 100 degrees. So uh, just to give the, the listeners a uh, a sense of uh, how hot it is, it's definitely hot and it's on Highway 45, uh, very loud freeway. So that that's just an amazing deal. Our friend Craig was telling me about a story he heard from you about also, uh, you were talking about maybe some uh, car salesman, but he was talking about a guy that maybe... Uh, that you saw early in your life that was a, a tire salesman that had a tire everywhere he went. Is that a true story? Yeah, that was the guy in West Texas. He was in the tire business. He was going broke. He didn't know what to do today, but the advertising. So he started wearing a tire everywhere. He went to the Little League games, to the uh, school meeting, to the uh, church, and became known as a tire man, and he got rich. So, you know, you got to let people know who you are, what you're selling him. It got to be available all the time. Yeah, I, I just love that. I think that's I think that's a lost art, don't you? I mean, I heard a quote recently just talking about it. You know, something to the effect of everybody kind of knows what it takes to be successful, but very few want to pay the price. Do you think that's true? I think they will if they're given the opportunity. I think uh, people don't know there's an opportunity for them. 
And I think we indoctrinated them too many times in this country with theory that they're big winners and the world against them and all this other uh, happy stuff, which is not true. I think you could get up and suit uh, up and, you know, life offers you a second chance. It's called tomorrow. You got to suit up every day. Oh, I love that. So how many employees do you have now? Four. 400? Yes, sir. That's amazing. And so I'm assuming since you're at the store every day that you're meeting with them on a regular basis. How, how do you do those uh, kind of company meetings? Is that once in the morning or three times a day, all day? How do you think about sort of mentoring and leading? Mainly with the sales and marketing department. So we talk about what we're doing all the time. Morph and change always, you know, um, change is not necessary. Survival is not mandatory is what, one of my favorite things. Change is not necessary. Survival is not mandatory. So we're changing all the time, trying to stay ahead of our competitors. And the warehouse department and the delivery department is a separate entity, but I call back every customer every day. I'm on the phone here. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're doing this interview while you're on the floor. I mean, we can hear the phone ring, and I just I just love it. Total commitment. I think that's uh, part of the lesson here. And when you when you've got young young people kind of joining you on that sales floor, and they want to emulate you, how do you think about that mentorship? What are the things you try to teach them? That um, whatever the thing is you're afraid of the most, do it first. Mm. Get out of your comfort zone. Do the hardest thing when you first get to work, and then. Uh, the rest of the day, beat the work, a big cake. Get them purpose and meaning in your life by starting off with a tough task, accomplishing it, and then your day rolling and you go from there. Love it. And then, you know, Mac, this is uh, the Generous Business Owner podcast, and uh, you are known for helping the community a lot. I think one of the unique things, if I'm not mistaken, you still only have just the one big store in Houston. Is that correct? You know, we always had one story. My theory was they can only steal so much while I'm watching them. But I uh, I got off the rails, and now we have three stories. But all three of them are successful, and I'm happy that we have three, although I'm kind of in control pretty good. Really rather just have one. But we do have three, and we have a big Internet site. So we got lots of ways to sell merchandise and get it to our customers. Uh, okay, so, so you've got multiple channels, including uh, the web now. Uh, but... You know, mostly in Houston, right? So, so how do you think about the platform? I mean, you you're employing a lot of people. How do you think about your platform for helping the community and generosity in general? That's evolved over the years. I've given away millions of dollars to people, and I don't know how much good that's done. I think quite often giving people money enables their cycle of poverty. All these social workers talk to me all the time about breaking the relentless cycle of poverty, and I totally agree with that. But in order to break this relentless cycle of poverty, people have to learn how to work, and they have to embrace the joy of work. So rather than giving away money for them, put it in a high school out here at the first store for people 16 and 26 and never paid high school, they can get a high school diploma. We put it in the trade school, we teach welding, plumbing, all that through both. Instructing skills off, but the skills we can't be off toward the China. And we have a preschool for our team members and the people going to school, but they have free preschool for kids uh, zero, eight, six months to five years old. So all that's going well. We decided we'd rather uh, think on how to bet rather than give them a bit. I love that. So it sounds like 
your generosity, I mean, obviously you're doing things in the community, but it, I mean, even from your story and just your personal story and talking about how you derive so much value from working, you know, and you're trying to give that same, help others have that same value in their job, right? It's called, you know, it used to be called when I was growing up, it was called the Puritan work ethic. And the Puritans came over here and down on the Mayfire or whatever it was, and they landed at the train plant, and they went to work, and they uh, built the greatest country in the world through uh, free enterprise and capitalism. And now we talk about victimhood. We talk about people not having a chance. Well, my message is you have a chance. Just get up, go to work, and make something out of your life. My advice to the kids is find a job you love to do, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. If you try, you try 20 jobs, not ring your bell. Keep trying a job till you find the one that you really like. And once you find that job you love to do, then uh, life, your, your life is set. You can go to work and be happy the rest of your life. I love it. I love it. Finding the value in the in the work and, and just setting an example, man. I think one of the best things you're doing is just showing up every day, setting an example still, you know, that it never stops. Mark Twain said 95 percent of life would go out before I send it And another one of my favorite statements is the best ability, whether you're a football player, business person, or mom and dad, the best ability is availability. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, it's even with our families, we talk about, you know, how, how do kids spell uh, love, T I M E? You know, you just show up. Yeah. I mean, it's not always having the uh, some perfect activity or vacation just show up. So, well, I love that. Maybe could you unpack a little more? Uh, you went through that quickly, but I think that's very unique what you're doing. Sounds like mostly for, is it mostly for the employees, the school and, and the preschool and all of that uh, education? Or is that for the whole community around the biggest store? No, well, the neighborhood around it. We, yeah, we ended up five about radio to the door. Even though this is the world's greatest art store where I'm talking to you from, with that five mile radius, the store the average income twenty six thousand dollars a year, which is obviously way below the poverty line. So we're trying to impact the neighborhood and break the cycle of five generations of welfare. Uh sitting at home waiting for the mailman to bring the welfare deck. We're trying to give people perfect and meaning of their life by giving them in the world's greatest exploit, which is called work. There's two great things in this world. One is work, the other is sleep. Sleep is like wonder drug, and the work is uh, life great therapy. That's awesome. So can you unpack that a little bit? You, you you went through that. So you have, what are all the different things you've got going? You said, we have free school yeah. for the people that work for me and also the people that go to the uh, schools I have. Free school is free from age uh, six months to five years old. We teach Bible class in there. Uh, we teach Judeo Christian. Christian work ethic, that sort of thing to these kids. Number two, we have a high school. All these kids dropped out of high school for one reason or another. They didn't finish high school. We think it's very important to have a high school that's free. It's kind of the charter school for kids they 16 to 26. And then we have a trade school. Uh, the trade school is free. We teach skill trade, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, auto mechanic, construction skills, all these critical skills that are high, high, high paying jobs. The instructors are people that own companies or work in companies that are looking to hire people because it's tough to hire the right people that we instruct them on skills they can use, they want on the job. And none of these jobs are exportable from China. So we're, we think that if you 
teach Americans how to work. We make the country strong and resilient again. And that's what we're trying to do. I love it. I love it. Well, one of the things you also advertise is American made furniture, don't you? And it, it, that sort of speaks to what you're talking about. I mean, you're teaching people, you know, other trades, not just furniture making, I'm sure. But but how do you think about sort of U.S. manufacturing? Uh, yeah, even Joe Biden said it at the Union address two years ago. He said, buy American products for American jobs. That's a great statement. We've got to live it. We've got to buy American products for American jobs. I was at the job fair for the high school kids the other day. And there, it was kind of a pitch deal where they gave her pitch about business they like to start. And one of these kids gave a great pitch about building something. And the guy there who was like the supervisor, he, he said, you'll have to get it built in China or Mexico. Well, why the hell do we have to have it built in China or Mexico? Why can't we build something in this country? Right. Right. It's just crazy. It's right. just crazy. So, so you got to take care, take care of the home team, for God's sake. Push the agreement to work. Get them off the dole. Get them off the welfare. Get them off the cycle of dependency and let them have joy and freedom in that wonderful excler called W-O-R-K. I love it. I love it. I just, I, your passion for just how work is therapy is just, uh, I love it. Yeah. I've been 42 years out here at this one location. I put more time in, in a retail, in a, a burn destroy than anybody in human history. And uh, I know what works. What works is getting these, I get these young kids in here, they're scared to death, they've probably been in uh, jail before, they're uh, fairly high school graduates, and we get them in here, we get them to work, and all of a sudden, uh, they've got some friends here, we have a restaurant here, we feed people breakfast, lunch, and dinner free. The one rule in the restaurant is you can't take your iPhone or iPad, and they go in there and yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. But then they get there and they make friends. And then when their car breaks down, rather than calling in and say, I'm not coming to work today, they don't want to disappoint their friends at work. So they find a way to get to work. They have a problem. Somebody they're eating lunch or dinner or breakfast with has been through that problem before and knows how to help them solve it. And all of a sudden, they're part of a community. Yes. In 1905, the average size of the U.S. household was 10.5 people. 10.5. Got that? Yeah. The average size of the U.S. household today is less than two, and one is the lowliest number. Yeah, and we kind of know who's missing. Usually it's dad, right? Yeah, usually it's dad and mom. And, and, you know, look at this. You know, the uh, Asians and other people, they take care of their elderly. You know, we give them off their nursing home. Give me a break. I just love it, man. I love it. So you're you're serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner to every employee. Is that true? Employee and every customer. They're here, absolutely. Oh, and, and the customers. Okay. You're the central gathering place for human beings the past 800,000 years has been the fireplace. And they gather around the fireplace to warm yourself as a place to community, but also to eat. So people eat together, they learn, and it brings a sense of community. And so by having these meals together, they bond them together, and they have friends at work. You have to have friends at church, they had friends at school, they had friends at home. Now they don't have any of those support groups, so we're going to give them a support group here. Well, Matt's. I love that. I love that. Are you still, are you trying to kind of build that community? Sounds like you're trying to build that around the neighborhood too with these schools. Do you have some, how do you think about trying to help them? I am, uh, I never think to be amazed at how unprepared these kids are. They come to school, I'm, I give them a preschool, pre this, pre that. Right. 
and they walk around with their pants around their knees. And then when I tell them to pull their pants up, they look at me like I'm a pill to hunt. It's just, you know, if you dress like a thug, you look like a thug, people don't treat you like a thug. And if you dress two, two levels above your pay level, people are going to treat you like somebody, you're going to move up. And I'm trying to teach these kids that, you know, life is all about perception. Life is about optics. And if you want to, if you want to move up, move up, well, you get hired on the I want to do the dirtiest job, job everybody wants to do, but all of a sudden, you're going to be recognized, you're going to be noticed, and a year later, you'll get a promotion, and you'll start moving up the ladder. Inch by inch, it's a cinch by the yard, it's mighty hard. <laughs> I love it, man. I think you could have been an amazing football coach, by the way, Mac. This is, this is fit. I was an amazing football player, you were Texas. I played there in 1969 and 1970 when Texas won 30 straight games, took the second national championship. Like I said, I was an amazing football player. I only had two small problems. Number one, I was too small. Number two, I was too slow. And the position that I played was called the men. <laughs> well, uh, you're certainly a, a great motivational uh, speaker and uh, an inspiration to many. So, okay. So now, w- Mac, one of the things we have, we have a lot of listeners who, uh, are running businesses and, uh, uh, you know, some of them, uh, like you have some success over a long period of time. And one of the biggest questions they ask us is, you know, how do I not ruin my kids? So how many, how many kids do you have, Mac? I have three by a lot. Yeah. Okay. So five kids, uh, now they're all grown and I'm sure you have some grandkids now. How many grandkids? Seven grandkids. Okay. So, you know, maybe this is more about the grandkids, but how do you think about that? How do you think about, you know, empowering your kids and, uh, you know, hel- helping them be all they can be and your grandkids? How, how do you think about that? I think, that, you know, obviously role modeling is very important. Teach them the power of work, that work is life and life is work. And teach them that uh, if not at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you job pay. It matters uh, how much of a difference you make. At the end of the day, everybody that's listening to this broadcast, you and I and everybody else, we're going to stand in front of our creator, whoever we may believe the creator to be. And at that time, the creator is not going to ask us how much money did we make. It said the creator will ask us how much of a difference did you make. So that's the idea. Exactly. Exactly. Are, are any of your uh, family members in the business? By son is the rest of them are too smart to get rebuilt. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they didn't want to work uh, seven seven days a week. Well, it was a few hours are involved. But you know what? Nobody says life is going to be fun, easy, or fair. Suit up and play. I love it. So what what is your uh, son's involvement in the business? He runs all the digital stuff. He's very good at digital and websites and, you know, e-commerce, Instagram, and Facebook, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, very good. Well, uh, you know, maybe one last question just about the faith journey. Sounds like you were raised in a faithful home. How how has your faith maybe evolved over the years or how, integrated into the business? How, how do you maybe maybe talk a little about your faith journey, if you don't mind? My faith would obviously sustain me in the dark of hours. We've had a lot of setbacks, man. We've had a lot of crushing blows. But, you know, they knock you down, you get back up, you pull up, you get, and you play again. So. My faith has always sustained me, will continue to sustain me in these very dark hours that the United States is facing as we uh, question everything that Western society has built up over the past two or 3,000 years. I think in the end that uh, 
God, duty, honor, country, family will win. And we, we got to say, of course, we got, we got to, uh, the, we're fighting a lot of somewhat uh, dark forces and uh, good will win in the end. Uh, God put us on this earth to live, work, play, and die in groups and to help each other. And that's what we're going to continue doing to the day they put that faith in my faith. Well, Mac, we always like to, uh, you've been very generous with your time today as we sort of wrap up here. We always end the podcast with uh, just, a practical tip. I, I sort of think as, uh, of this as uh, just like you've described with community. You and I is just sort of, uh, even though we're doing this on the phone, sort of sitting down and breaking bread together and just having a conversation, you know, where we're not staring at our phones. And then, you know, it's kind of like we just share this with our friends that uh, uh, would be blessed by the conversation. A lot of them are business owners who are pretty well behind you on the path, and they're just trying to think about how do they use their business you know, like you have to help others. And uh, so, then, I have a child uh, who had a severe obsessive compulsive disorder. She was nine years old. All the doctors be 20 different psychiatrists and told her, told to put her in a nursing home. She never managed anything and uh, get her out of our life so we could have a normal lifestyle. Well, you know, my wife and I, we're not buyers, we're sellers. We weren't buying all that crap. So, anyway, fast forward today, 30 years later, she's the she has a PhD in psychology. She overcame all that. Wow. Still has mental health. It will never go away, but she deals with it. She's one of the premier OTD specialists in the world. And one of the things she says all the time is this. If not in my struggle, I would not know my strength. Um, just beautiful. And so for somebody who's struggling right now, what, what's your advice? Yeah, embrace it. Embrace it. Own it. Love it. And, you know, and get up, get up and fight every day. Right offers you a second chance. It's called Tomorrow. Suit up. There's a book coming out by this guy about this guy named Mike Speak. His dad used to own the Chicago White Sox. Mike was the guy that did the disco demolition at Comiskey Park back in the 70s. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah. They, that was, uh, they borrowed the disco records and they threw them at the players and they had a riot in the park. <laughs> that, he got a letter from the BG that says that he killed disco that night. But anyway, he, he, he's, he's failed for many times in his life. He's been given the moniker of King of Second Tent. That's a pretty good mic. I love it. So don't lose hope. What I'm hearing is, exactly, don't quit. And, and, and come to the realization, there ain't no easy street. It, you know, there's a wonderful thing in Australia. I'm a battler from struggle street. Fantastic. I didn't grow up in the wealthiest neighborhood. I didn't go to the fine prep school. I don't have the trust fund. Battler, battle of a struggle between me that I got to go make it my own way every day. And I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, one of the things we say around here is you got to give everybody the gift of the struggle. It's actually a gift. Amen. It is. Well, Mac, this has been fantastic. I, I thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing your wisdom today. And I know a lot of people will be uh, blessed to hear it. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's Terrace Business Owner Podcast. Please leave us your ratings and reviews, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.